We've had hundreds of guests on the show since we started over four years ago. And to be candid, a couple of them have sucked. Well, we've got some good news and some bad news. The good news today is that our guest doesn't suck. In fact, he's really good. Kevin Murko, the founder of Coin Metro, doesn't just talk the talk, he actually walks the walk, frequently advising regulators and government bodies on matters relating to applying current regulations to new financial markets, regulatory sandboxes, and related topics. The bad news? Well, that would be us. Where are the podcasters your mama warned you about? And no one can say you weren't told in advance. So with full knowledge of what you're about to get into, welcome to episode 536 of the Bad Crypto Podcast. Five, four, three, two, one, two, Who's bad? Travilla in Luquillo, Puerto Rico. This is the Bad Crypto Podcast. I'm Joel Kahn. And I am Travis Wright. And this, I guess what, the third, maybe the third episode that we've done here from the Travilla. Yeah, you guys might hear in the background, because as we're recording, I have the earbuds in so I could hear the recording, and I'm picking up the sounds of the, the frogs. Of oh, the frogs the doing little, the little coquee, frog thing. Coquee. Yeah. Coquee. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the other day I noticed that there was, right there on my big window, there was a big little, it was a a big frog for those type of frogs. It was a nice sized little froggy, and you could hear him chirping while he was on the, uh, they're croaking? They're not chirping, but it kind of sounds like a little chirp. They call them coquies. Because it sounds like the sound they make. It's That's like and, and other critters sometimes wander. And Rufus just walked in. You could hear his uh, the jingle jangle of his uh, collar. He's got his, his ears all it. up. He's like, what is that sound? Rufus, what's what's going on, buddy? He hears he's it. Like, he is. He's, he's got his little ears up, kind of looking around like, what yeah. is that sound? You were just outside a minute ago, buddy. Didn't you hear those frogs? The dogs. <laughs> this is the dogs and frogs episode. There you go. Thanks for joining us today. We're really glad that you're here, and uh, we're also pleased to have our sponsor, Matrixport. If you're looking for an all-in-one platform for crypto, Matrixport's one of the fastest-growing companies with over 10 billion in AUM and over 220 employees worldwide. Matrixport's a one-stop app for all your crypto needs. Borrow, lend, trade, earn, custody, save them all in one place. Check them out. Badco.in forward slash matrix port badco.in forward slash matrix port earn 30 percent yield on usdc for new users 30 percent damn that's what can you imagine going to a bank and saying well i want to earn 30 they would laugh at you they'd go no you don't earn any interest for banking with us in fact you have to pay us you know what? That's called negative interest rates, and that has happened quite a little bit all over Europe. Mm-hmm. And we'll see more and more of that as the the uh, currencies, the the paper fiat monies around the world become less valuable. I mean, you've already seen like what is your savings? You're like, oh, you get point nine per one percent. Like it doesn't keep up with inflation now at all. It actually costs you money at that interest rate to have your money in a savings mm-hmm. account. So check out Matrixport and do that. And you're gonna like this interview right here. We had a great conversation. And, um, you know, you know, what's interesting about Coin Metro is they have purposely not put their token on other exchanges because they want to be regulated. Mm-hmm. So they said that uh, from, from the conversations, like probably one of the more safer regulated exchanges in existence because they've done everything they can to stay within the P's and Q's 
of the SEC at this point. Wasn't that a Ramon song? I want to be regulated. <laughs> oh, no, it's sedated. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think that's great. Uh, Sir Lord Travis is correct. So let's go to the interview with Kevin Murko. We do enjoy talking to people who are bringing real substantive change to capital markets all around the world. And we have one such person with us right now. He's a thought leader in financial exchanges, crypto, blockchain, and financial regulation. He is the founder and CEO of Coin Metro. I guess that would make him the founderio. His name is Kevin Murko. He's with us today to talk all things crypto. Welcome to Bad Crypto, Mr. Kevin of Murko. Uh, thanks, Joel. Thanks, thanks Travis. Uh, the uh, I guess I have to change my business cards now to Fondario. So I'm Fondario. Yeah. That over to me so I can. They'll I be can like, oh, it must be Italian. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> might, might add some clout. I don't know. We'll see. So let's uh, let's turn the wayback machine as far back as we need to go to understand your history in financial markets and what you led you down the crypto rabbit hole and uh, kind of Reader's Digest us to where you are today. Cool. So 1977. No, um, I was born at a very young age. Yeah, it was a, it was, it was a dark and stormy night. Um, no. So the, back in, back in the late nineties, I got involved in FX kind of by mistake. Um, I was trying to find a way to diversify some, well, what I thought would be passive income, how wrong I was, uh, online. And I fell into FX and I've always been kind of a numbers guy. So it, it kind of fascinated me that I could make money just staring at numbers all day. Obviously, I didn't make money at first. I got wrecked, like they say nowadays, pretty much for the first six months of my, I'll call it a career. It is a career now. It wasn't then, uh, but got wrecked uh, over and over again. But uh, have something wrong or right with my personality where when I start doing something, I generally can't throw in the towel. That can be really good, but it can be really bad um, and, and ruin your life. Unfortunately for me, I'm, I'm still here. So I, I started out in FX. I went from being a trader that didn't make any money to figuring out how to make money, to trading for other people, to owning my own FX brokerage. Um, 2009, I launched my own brokerage, regulated FX brokerage. Uh, we, were the guy, we were the first guys in the industry to actually give trade receipts to clients. So we would actually tell them who filled their trades. So we would say, you know, JP Morgan filled this, Goldman Sachs filled that, et cetera. And we would fight for clients when they got filled inaccurately or when trades were reversed, et cetera. So about 2014, fast forward, uh, I started getting clients that were asking to trade Bitcoin. And I had been, let's say, inside of the crypto markets probably since 2009. I read that white paper from Sash Tatashi, Satoshi, uh, sorry, uh, pretty, pretty, I think it was a month or two after the pizza, the 20,000, you know, uh, pizza deal. Uh, I happened to be a member of the forum at the time, wasn't there when it happened, but I, but I saw it shortly thereafter. And so I started, I was mining, I was mining on an iMac, uh, which, you know, obviously nowadays you wouldn't be able to mine dust. Uh, but at the time, I actually was able to make a bit of money mining Bitcoin. And so I knew what Bitcoin was. I thought, okay, well, this shouldn't be too difficult to get liquidity in Bitcoin for my, for my FX clients. Huh, not difficult at all. Well, it was difficult. It was impossible. There was two places that provided liquidity, Bitstamp and Hoibee. And uh, both had APIs that, well, actually, I think only Bitstamp had an API at that point, And it looked like a ma- an Excel macro. Uh, basically, it updated like once every seven seconds. <laughs> it was like 2% difference between prices every time it updated. So there was no way for me to offset any risk. So that's when the, that's kind of the journey for CoinMetro started. It wasn't CoinMetro. It didn't have a name. It was just me looking for liquidity or trying to find a way to potentially provide liquidity. Then 2017 rolled around. The ICO bubble was kind of really in, really starting to take shape. 
Uh, I had an idea at that point to separate myself a bit from FX because FX is a bit monotonous. Uh, everybody's a salesman. Everybody sells each other the same stuff. I talked to another CEO. They'd sell me the exact same thing I had. They knew they were selling me what I had. I knew they were selling me what I, what I had. But for some reason, we still got on a call and talked about it. And so I decided <laughs> I wanted to move away. And I had gone to a few crypto meetups. And it was me, the kind of old, I don't know, bald uh, white dude in the room with a bunch of guys with like man buns and tattoos. Um, but there was this community aspect and I felt it was kind of cool because I could see people that had different opinions. They might've even been competitors, but they were helping kind of make the, the industry grow. And I thought that was really interesting because in FX, that doesn't happen. Everybody just tries to kill everybody else, basically. Um, so I started to make the transition. Uh, and at the beginning, it was about liquidity, but it quickly kind of grew into the fact that there wasn't really any great exchanges around. There wasn't anywhere I would say that provided, you know, really top-notch customer support. There wasn't anywhere where you could do multiple things under one roof. Uh, everybody was kind of a bucket shop, which is what we would have called it back in the day in FX, where lots of trading against their own clients, lots of what I would call perceived manipulation, front-running, wash trading, all these things. Not that these things no longer exist because they do, but there was really a lack of, I would say, exchange leadership. So there was a few properties around that were doing the right thing, not many. And so... Coin Metro kind of started started to happen in 2017. We did an ICO. We built a platform to do an ICO, um, raised some money, and then started to build kind of this holistic platform. And, and that led us up to where we are today in 2021. Nice. So, well, now you're hanging out with someone who's got tattoos and a man bun. You got Joel Kahn over there. He's not quite a man bun yet, but it's getting close. <laughs> I will not have a man bun. I might have a little sprig thing going yeah, yeah. on. Yeah, that's kind of like a man here. dome, I think. It looks more like a dome. Yeah. I, yeah, I'm, I'm totally uh, the whole Puerto Rico island life thing. I'm letting it happen, man. And I will soon be mistaken as a hippie. And that's fine. I'm good with it. I, I let the whole beach thing happen. And then I lost my hair. So uh, now now instead of it coming out the top, it's like Play-Doh. It's like a Play-Doh thing. It just pushes out the bottom. It now. comes out comes everywhere out it's beard. not supposed to be, too. The older yeah. you get, like it starts growing out of your ears and out of your nose. Hey, you ever get one of those like, long ear hairs? Just like one day, there's nothing. The next day, it just got like this six foot hair just crawling out of the leg, your left ear. In the eyebrows. Amazing. The eyebrows. Yeah, I, mean, like, I make that into a man, but I have man bun, little ear, ear man bun. Ear buns. <laughs> <laughs> stylish. It's pretty stylish, man. We, we, you, you should go, forget about the podcast. Go on video, man. Everybody's got to see that. What are you kidding? Yeah, you know, get these, as Joe mentioned, these eyebrows get out of control. You know, all this crazy. So, so Coin Metro, I spurt for one, Kevin. I just want to thank you and congratulate you for having created an ICO and actually delivered on the code. Nice. You're like a freaking unicorn just because of that. Yeah, yeah. There's not many of us left. Uh, that's for sure. I, we, we've seen them drop left, right, and center. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I'm glad we're one of the one of the ones. Uh, you know, I, I think a lot of people look at that the wrong way, though. I mean, 2017, you know, if, if 10 people open a coffee shop, nine will fail. And not because they're fraudulent or scams or, you know, whatever, just because they can't manage a business or they're just unlucky or whatever. People didn't like their coffee, you know, so... Uh, but yeah, I'm definitely I'm definitely proud of the fact that I think one of the best things we've ever did, aside from still being here, is that based on that, we've built such an awesome community, you know, and I never really I never really looked at, you know, every business I've run in the past and FX was definitely something I did for a long time. But before that, I owned every type of business you could imagine. I was in real estate. I was in I had restaurants. I had laundromats. I did all kinds of stuff. And I've never been in a business where you were kind of, you were sitting in front of a, it's kind of like sitting on stage in front of 20,000 people and they criticize every move you make. Uh, and it really, it really kind of puts you, 
it really, it, initially it's really difficult. And you kind of thought, I thought I made a bad decision. I was like, ah, oh, man, maybe this wasn't the right thing to do. But being so open with the community and kind of constantly, you know, we do AMAs every Friday. We're always open with the community. We kind of treat them like they're our board of directors. So they get all the news, even if it's not confirmed. We're going to do this. We talked about that, you know, and sometimes stuff doesn't happen. Sometimes it happens, whatever. But now that I look back, I think it was the best decision we ever made. We really have created a, a community that I think is, I would say, second to none. I mean, there might be a better one out there, but I haven't joined it yet. And I'm on a lot of Telegram groups, man. I, I, I'm on too many. That's, that's for sure. I want to ask you this then, you know, because it's interesting to me. You built this, built this exchange. And it's, so it is kind of a centralized exchange because you've, you, it's a company, right? And um, so, so how do you guys determine, you know, what projects are good enough for you to come on to, or, or to come on Coin Metro, or like, what, what, what is the vetting process? I mean, because that's what's interesting is like, you know, we're curious because you know we're on the board of advi- uh, the the uh, advisory board for Wax, and we're like, man, why isn't Wax on more crypto exchanges? And is it is it more of a pay to play? Like, how how does it, someone who works at an exchange determine which coins are even worth coming on their exchange? So yeah, definitely with us not pay to play for sure. We don't we don't even charge a listing fee. Um, obviously, when there's work involved with coding to a to a new chain or something, or you know going on mainnet that we haven't before, there's going to be costs. Sometimes we take those costs. Sometimes whatever we're you know whatever the whoever the issuer is may pay those you know dev costs. And sometimes there's legal costs. So there can be expenses, but we don't we don't charge a thing. I think that's probably a, that should be against every exchange's uh, rule book. Uh, because oh, but that's, play, that's the model for uh, for some yeah. of them, for many of yeah, them. Yeah, that, that's the model for many of them, but it's the wrong model to take. I mean, if, you're, if your goal is to align your goals with those of your clients, right, which mean you want your clients to make money, you want your clients to do well in the, in the long term. Why? Because, well, as a business, you're going to make more money if your clients stick around longer and they make money. Um, but at the end of the day, fi- financial services have to align at some point when they don't. And sometimes this can take a very long time. In FX, it took about 15 years for that kind of alignment to start at most uh, brokers uh, in in equities, it took 50 years. Uh, crypto, hopefully, it takes less. And I think we're eventually we're going to start really seeing that start to happen across the board, whether it's because of regulation or otherwise. But we like to align ourselves. So there's so much noise out there. You know, the fact that someone can create an asset out of thin air for any reason and with no website, a website have a white paper, no white, a yellow paper, green paper, blue paper, polka dot paper. You know, I don't know, whatever. Um, there's always going to be lots of noise. And so one is kind of try to filter through the noise. So we are actively looking all the time. We engage our community. We ask them, hey, guys, what, do you, what have you seen that's interesting? You know, we look at things that they bring to us. We constantly are looking ourselves to see, you know, we like to see, it doesn't necessarily need to be something, you know, I think what you don't want to do is wrap your head around the idea that we need to like it. Like, you know, like this is something I really like. Not necessarily, but it needs to be something that one, they know what they're doing. How do you determine that? Well, that's kind of difficult, can be subjective. Uh, but, you know, you look at the team, make sure it's not, you know, 15 advisors. And then, you know, one guy that was a used car salesman, another guy that used to sell flowers out of the back of his truck, and they're trying to like revolutionize AI. Mm, no. Um, you know, so try, try to align the team with what they're trying to do. Make sure that they, then obviously compassion, they have to be passionate. It's kind of like being a hedge fund, to be honest. We look at things kind of like a hedge fund. So, We don't invest in everything we list, but we invest in lots of things we list. So we like to look at what they're doing, look at it from the angle of will this will this actually be able to do it? Are they going to be do we think they're going to be um, actually uh, profitable in the future? Do we think they're going to be successful in the future? And then it comes down to the legal, to the tech and all the other things that need to kind of check all the boxes and dot all the I's and cross all the T's. Um, But the, the point about being centralized, you know, 
yeah, we're centralized. I mean, we're not, we are centralized. I mean, there's no way, way, way around it. I think the future for all exchanges is going to be hybrid. And the reason for that is, you know, regulation isn't going anywhere. And I can remember talking in 2017 with people that were running DEXs at the time. This is like the first DEX bubble. And then everybody forgot about DEXs until, you know, late 2019 or 2020. And then DEXs became a thing again. Uh, Uniswap, obviously, I think they launched in 2017 or 18, if I'm not mistaken. It took them some time to get some actual notoriety for what they were doing. Um, the, the, the conversation was, you know, regulation is never going to catch up to us. They can't touch us. And that's not true. A regulation can be slow because obviously you need legislation to do something. You need judges to do something sometimes. And then you need the regulators to actually apply what they've, what, you know, the, the laws that are on the books. But at the end of the day, regulation is not going anywhere. So a, a, a true DEX can be very difficult to operate under actual regulation, which is coming, will come, and eventually will be applied to all DEXs. And that's going to mean some form of centralization, whether that be KYC, whether that be AML, whether that be order book, something is going to be centralized. So our vision for the future of all, let's say our own centralized exchange, we've already kind of started branching into DeFi and well, I would say DeFi-esque. Uh, so kind of automated financial product, passive income products, if you will, because that's mainly what people are focusing on in DeFi anyways, about passive income. And everything that exists in DeFi exists in traditional finance. There's nothing that DeFi has done yet that doesn't exist in traditional finance. The difference is, is access. So in traditional finance, if you want to do a, what they would call the back-to-back -back loan, which would be you taking a loan in Japan, which has low interest rates, converting that loan with a swap into maybe Swiss francs, and then paying off an additional loan that you got for lower interest somewhere else and profiting the one or 2% difference. Back-to-back -back loans have been around for hundred years. I used to be involved in a business that did back-to-back -back loans. They might not have happened in seconds, but they would happen in one business day and you'd make one or 2% pretty easy every day, day in and day out. But to do it, you needed 10, 10 million, 100 million. Now you need like 250 million to a billion to be able to get into that market. So DeFi allows people to do things that banks and large institutions have been doing forever. So the vision for me is hybrid, which means centralized order book, decentralized everything else. So decentralized settlement, decentralized clearing, all that great stuff, but centralized order books. I think, to be honest, that's probably where most of the market's going to head. And that's where that's our vision, let's say, for the future of, of, of that you know centralized aspect. So much of that is just anti the the um, themes of crypto, right, that mm -hmm. this is decentralized and that there's freedom to it and it's the people's money. And I know they're going to regulate. They've started. They're going to continue. But there are certain components of the crypto world that just they will rebel against that and they will not be regulated. You know, how is that going to play out? What do you, you know, prognosticate here? I think in so many aspects, you're right. But even in the core aspects of what, you know, that white paper said about 12 years ago, 13 years ago now, which was that, you know, one of the asks, one of the ideas of Bitcoin was essentially to create an even playing field for everyone. But it hasn't done that. The actual the income, the inequality of, 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 of value is worse in Bitcoin than it is in the actual traditional world. So anytime there's money, people with money will eventually acquire more of that money or value than people who don't have the money to acquire the value. So even from the core, I would say that we've already gone way off the rails when it comes to what the initial idea was. But to me, I think what, we, what we've harnessed and what we continually need to work on is access. And regulation can kill access. But the reason why regulation usually kills access, one, regulators don't create laws, right? So legislators create laws. Everybody focuses on the regulator. Their job is just to apply whatever, you know, whatever legislation or whatever judicial precedent, like in the US, that's usually what happens. That's how regulators work. So 
the, the community, the, the, the actual crypto industry needs to get more and more involved in that legislative process. And that's been happening in the beginning, to, well, beginning, I should say 2014, 15, 16, 17, that didn't happen. So the industry sat on the outside saying, it's not, it's not gonna be regulated, they can't regulate it, we're gonna rebel against it. But I, I, I would say, my vision of that is this, I'm not a fan of regulation, but I've been involved in finance too long to understand that it's not going anywhere. But it can, it's, it's a thousand times easier to change something from the inside than the outside. When you're inside, you need to change the mind of one person. When you're outside, you gotta change everybody's mind. And up until recently, 2019, 2020, most crypto operators were trying to stay on the outside and force change. That's almost impossible because at the end of the day, you know, like I said, I'm not a fan of regulation, but at the same time, I don't want, you know, laundered money. I don't want, you know, criminal activity to be touching. And I don't want people, uh, terrorists or, you know, all these. Now, I'm not saying that happened. It really does not happen all that much in crypto, to be honest. That's kind of one of the, one of those things that regulators and legislators like to slay that's usually nonsense. But it can happen, and it, and it would happen if there wasn't any type of gatekeeper system. Gatekeeper, like we have in traditional finance, when you come into the financial system, you come through a gatekeeper, usually a bank in traditional finance. In, in crypto, you come through an exchange or a wallet. So there has to be some control on the outside, but the only way that those guys are gonna understand how to control or not control the inside is to understand how the industry works. And the only way they're gonna do that is if we participate. And so. Many people have started to participate. That's great. We need more participation. One cool thing I've seen recently is in the EU with, uh, they're working on something called MICA, which stands for Markets and Crypto Assets. And that's something like MIFID, which is the financial directive that governs all of other, you know, every other financial basically platform within Europe. Everybody talks about MIFID too when they talk about getting licensing and et cetera. Well, MICA will be, the, will be that for crypto. And they have a plan to test it for five years. It's not yet ready, but it should be ready, I think, by the end of the year. And then there'll be a five-year test period where there'll be licenses given across Europe. And companies will be able to utilize this regulation and see how it affects their business. The, the surprising thing to me was is that they've actually studied crypto. And they've created a licensing structure that I would say is quite hands-off. They've even gone as far to say that when, when you're dealing with securities, you don't need to settle the securities with a settlement agent or a CSD. You can do it directly with the client because they understand that with decentralization, how are they going to force you know, centralized settlement on a decentralized system? So the regulators are, are moving much, I would say they're smarter, they're moving more smartly and so are the legislators than I've ever seen before. And that's partially because of the speed of crypto, the fact, like you said, Joel, that they, they're starting to understand that one, CBDCs are very beneficial to them because they get to know what everybody's doing and get their data. That's, that's one thing they've realized. Second thing they've realized is that they can't stop a protocol. So rather than trying to eliminate it at the protocol level and put as much restriction as they possibly can, they want to create at least a safeguard so that they can do what they're supposed to do, task with, protect people, but limit their expo limit the amount of kind of restriction they put on the market. So I think we're headed in the right direction, but we need more, we need more help from the from the industry at large. And running away from regulation, playing regulatory arbitrage, not going to help. I want to ask you this. I want to ask you this, Kevin, because I think it's, you, you've got an interesting approach here. So if you go and look on, if you go and look on CoinGecko, and for one, your trust score on CoinGecko is an eight. So you guys have great security. It looks like the, you've been through. You've been through it. My question is this: is that you have a token 
I believe it's the what the ECM or the XCM token. XCM. And it's only available on your exchange, right? And so I was curious about that because I know that if I look at what Binance is doing or what KuCoin or some of these other ones will be, like those tokens are available on all different exchanges. And I think that creates some cross-pollinization to drive people maybe even back to those exchanges. So I'm curious why your approach is, is that your token is only available on your exchange. Sure, great question. So the initial reason for that when we were going through our ICO was regulatory. So the initial reason was uh, there was a lot of gray area. There still is, but there was much more gray area in 2017 than there is now. And the, there's, this, there's this issue with creating a utility token versus creating a payment token. And if we proactively go after listings on other exchanges, it could potentially be viewed that we've created a payment token because now it has additional resource where people can go and use and spend it or, or use it elsewhere. The fact that it's utility is because it interacts with the Coin Metro ecosystem you know, we, we're paid in the token, we're, we're, we're vaulting the token, every interaction that happens on the exchange, the tokenomics kick in, and that causes demand to be put onto that onto the market, obviously on CoinMetro, not on some other platform. And that really means that in the US and elsewhere, we are a utility, we're not, we're nothing else. Every time we take a step proactively to list somewhere else, we, we kind of potentially step over the line and become some other type of token. Now, Many other of our competitors, let's say, at least on the crypto side, because CoinMetro does a lot more than just crypto exchange, but on the crypto exchange side, our competitors like Binance, like uh, KuCoin, et cetera, the big players in the market, they don't necessarily care about regulation. At least they haven't up to this point. You've noticed all the stuff, news about Binance recently with the FCA and the Singapore and all these other places. And that's not going to stop. And it, it's probably not, it probably just didn't start either. It's probably been happening for years behind the scenes, but we're starting to hear about it now vocally from these regulators. So we... We, we kind of have to play this line where we can't move faster than we know with clarity that we can move. The other side of that is it is a utility token and the only place it has utility is CoinMetro. So yes, it does hinder a bit our ability maybe to, to push the brand out further. So it slowed our ability maybe to get more people aware of what CoinMetro is and what XCM is. But that's, that's on our shoulders. I mean, we, we, we just have to continue to push and press and, and get the word out there. And it's kind of like a tortoise and hare type of situation, right? Yeah. I mean, we might not be the hare, but uh, we hope to be the tortoise in the end. Yeah, I just was just wondering if that, you know, was maybe hindered growth in some way, or at least more, you know, uh, people discovering it, you know, the discoverability yeah. of the project, right? Yeah, yeah, and you, it, it does. It absolutely does. And I guess we we kind of we kind of look at the long road that way, saying when there's clarity, if clarity happens that says, look, you can proactively go out and list at another uh, venue, like a dual listing in traditional markets, and it's not going to change that your, your token's utility. It's not going to make it a payment token. It's not going to make it a security, et cetera. These are based in Estonia though, right? So does that, so you, it's not, so at least that's what this, this information here says is that officially you're in Estonia. So it's like, that's not necessarily U.S., you know, the, the U.S. regulations might not apply as much, right? So it's like, it seems like you were able to base it off of Estonia law and then maybe you have more flexibility. Are you just being overly cautious maybe? Uh, I would say we're being cautious, but not necessarily overly. So the, the U.S. is kind of the one place in the world that'll go after you regardless of where you're based, right? So it's, it's really the only country in the world on a regulatory level that will try you in absentia, right? You don't even show up and they will try you, find you guilty, fine you. Um, and then, you know, you're, once you're they fine, bomb your family, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and they may just bomb you. Probably not in Estonia. Maybe if you're close to the Russian border. I don't know. Uh, but we're far enough away. I think we're OK there. Uh, yeah. But you're right. So the, the point is, is that the problem when, when you're a regulated entity. So we hold multiple licenses and multiple regulations all around or multiple registrations, sorry, all around the world. The minute you get a fine or even just a warning from any regulator, the difficulty to get regulated elsewhere multiplies by tenfold. So you, you need to be cautious. You need to play, the, play by the rules. You need to ask permission rather than going out and asking for forgiveness, which is what most companies do in this industry right now. They do it and then they go, oh, sorry. You know, you know we didn't know, uh, but that's unfortunately not a great excuse. So yeah, I, 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 in, in time, it will be listed elsewhere, whether we want it or not, because as the business grows, as the market cap grows, other players will list it without our without even our acceptance of them listing it. And so we at some point that will happen. We just uh-huh. haven't been proactive about it. That's interesting. I didn't yeah. know what what's where did this pallet of cash come from that showed up on my lawn? I didn't I didn't know. I just <laughs> thought they weird. were giving away the money or something. So let me um, address an issue that I keep getting questions just from a lot of newbies in my life, right? There's this fear that the governments are going to come in and make cryptocurrency illegal. I personally feel that we are past the point of that being able to happen because of the number of major institutions that now have a stake in it. But what's, what's your personal take on this? I, I think probably looking back, we were past it as soon as the, as soon as the Bitcoin network was launched, simply because Think of it as the internet. A lot of people make these these comparisons to the internet. You know, we're in 95, 96 of the internet. Back then it was 92, you know, or whatever. But but the the point is is that as soon as the first few nodes went online and it became decentralized, it's impossible probably to stop. You can limit though. So my fear has always been since the beginning that that gatekeeper analogy. So they would just make it impossible for a gatekeeper to act and thus it would all go underground thus limiting the volumes, thus, and then basically regular people just wouldn't be interested, right? There's many industries that exist underground that regular people aren't interested in that are big industries, that's for sure. Uh, but that, that potentially would have killed a lot of this momentum that we've now gained in the past 10, 12 years. So I, I agree. I think we're past that point. The, the initially, governments had a hard time understanding why this would potentially be beneficial for them. And still now you'll see pockets of governments, actually in where I'm sitting right now in Mexico, uh, we just had you know, the, the Secretaria de Hacienda, so the, the guy who runs the tax authority, as well as the head of the, what is the SEC, which is the CNBV here and the Bank of Mexico, all come out after some billionaire named Ricardo Salinas went on air and said that he, 10% of his portfolio was in Bitcoin and his bank was gonna be the first one to offer Bitcoin to retail clients in Mexico. They immediately came out and said, no, and the head of the, uh, IR, the, let's say the IRS here, the, the tax authority said something along the lines of that crypto is only used for, you know, drug, drug money, uh, you know, human trafficking and, you know, whatever the nonsense. That narrative is about 10 years old. And I guess he's a little bit behind the times because we've already debunked that about, you know, 837,000 times. But uh, that narrative still exists in certain countries and it's going to exist for some time more. But smart governments are realizing probably for not the best reasons, that crypto is actually very beneficial for them. Why? Because most crypto, let's not talk about privacy coins per se, but most crypto is pseudo-anonymous. It acts like cash, but it's not cash. So they can track it, they can trace it. Uh, And as soon as they realize that, and law enforcement was quick to realize that, 
but governments took some time. As soon as they realized that, and everybody loves CBDCs, everybody's now starting to turn a cheek and starting to try to apply regulation so they can regulate a bit the flow of crypto, but not necessarily kill it. And I expect that not to get more stringent, but to get less stringent over time because they want the data, they want the access. The more they try to restrict it, the data goes underground, the less they can track it. So I actually think we're way past that. You will see though, smaller countries, even some bigger countries, authoritarian in nature. We all know, the, I'm not even gonna say the name so we don't create an eighth FUD around uh, somebody banning crypto for the 19th time. Uh, but you know, there are gonna be certain countries, big countries that are still gonna you know, shout from the rooftops nonsense. But generally speaking, I think we're we're going to start to see. China. Oh, sorry, I just, yeah. no, no problem. We're going to see quite a wave over the next few years of adoption at the government and at the you know regulatory and legislative level. I think that the the chances of some type of global restriction on crypto is is zero. Well, El Salvador, uh, anybody? Hello, anyone? Bueller? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I love. I saw somebody on Twitter that was like 2010. I don't know. Uh, Bitcoin, uh, you know, only only drug drug dealers use it. Then it's like 2015, only, you know, whatever, nerds use it. And then 2000, only small countries use it, you know, whatever. And uh, you I, are I, here, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is funny. It's true to a sense, though, that obviously El Salvador adoption on the grand scheme of things is kind of not all that meaningful. But uh, it does set a precedent and the precedent is meaningful. It's sure. going to be meaningful to the people of El Salvador. Yeah, I mean, well, those, if, you know, yeah, those who start taking, sure. they start taking some of their payment in Bitcoin. Um, those people, you know, might end up becoming very wealthy and have more I, money. I than think what, what El Salvador needs to do is take all the Bitcoin they mine and distribute it as a, as a basic income to their citizens um, and lock away a certain amount until those citizens turn a certain age. And within probably the next 20 years, they'll have one of the wealthiest GBPs per capita in the world. And that will show the rest of the world how to actually run a universal income program. That's what they should do. Now, they may get greedy. El Salvador hasn't been known to be the most proactive country in the world. So they could get greedy and just completely muck it up, you know, screw it up. But if they do that, I think that would be amazing. So if hopefully somebody's listening in El Salvador, I can take a plane ride down there if they want me to say it to their face. I have no problem doing that. Imagine if the, if they actually did that, and then like the, the kids down the road would would be completely well up if if Bitcoin, let's say, if it's still around, which we assume it's going to be. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about I want to talk about this because I find this interesting. So I'm looking at your exchange trade volume over the last year. What happened in August? Like you like you had like there was some stuff in August. We guys were doing like a quarter quarter billion dollars a day over there. Like yeah. at least that was. I think I think you maybe have a 10 multiplier on that. I think we we had about 20 30 million a day during August actually. Well okay so I guess well, what it is it was uh, maybe it's normalized. I think that might be the normalized. Could be, could be normal. So it's some completely weird anomaly. I was like, "Oh my god, what what was going on there?" Cuz it's like it's interesting to see like, you know, how these how coins are how coins, you know, like which like if the new ones get added, and it would seem to me that new ones getting added brings in new community. Oh, here was my actual, my real question, because I just saw that and I go, wow, that was weird. Um, so you mentioned that like the coins that you that you bring on, you guys normally invest in those. Now, does that investment, does that show in the price of the XCM token? Like your investments, is that flowing in and actually will impact the price of your token overall? Because you got like this pool is fund of, of tokens you've invested in? 
Yeah, so we actually have, there's a, there's a pretty complicated plan as we require different licensing, new licensing in the EU to basically create what we call ETCFs, which are electronically traded crypto funds. Uh, and those would directly affect the price of XCM because they would be priced in XCM, but be basically baskets of different assets, like grouped by industry, for example, like DEXs or e-commerce or whatever. And there might be 10 or 15 assets in there, but they're priced, they would be priced in XCM. XCM would be required to purchase those. And as the price goes up, it would actually increase overall the value of, of, of XCM, not only bringing demand because you have to purchase those tokens, but also the increase in value of the pool would actually be uh, correlated back to, to XCM to the underlying token. We haven't launched that yet though, but there's a, there's a good question enrolled inside that question, which is one, I guess, back to kind of the listing process, but to kind of sum it up, the so we do invest and in, in, in many of the tokens we list, we don't invest in all of them. The volumes generally, you know, we, we create a product in, in the beginning that initially was, was going to be tokenized asset management. And the idea behind that was asset managers tokenize themselves. So let's say Travis, you wanted to manage some money. You came on, you create the Travis token, Joel creates the Joel token. You guys trade your accounts. People allocate funds to those accounts. And the more money you make, it increases the Travis or Joel token, you know, its price. We Joel ran into the Jolkin. Uh, yeah, yeah, the Jolkin. That's uh, that's exactly what it'd be called. So, uh, so, so we we that was the idea. Then we hit a regulatory roadblock, and, and we had to adjust it a bit. It became kind of a copy trading system. But what we did was, that, you know, copy trading exists. You know, eToro famously made it for FX uh, back in the day. But the the way they do it for crypto actually, well, is sucks in my opinion. And, and because they, you get attached to an initial portfolio and when the portfolio changes, your portfolio doesn't change. So you lock in day one and on day 15, the portfolio is completely different. You're still stuck with day one portfolio. And that could be, you know, in the gutter by then. So what we, we, we revamped the way copy trading is done so that it's, well, hope just fair and, and not just probably fair, but actually fair. Um, and so that that what that does is many most people aren't traders, right? And most people never will be. They, most people never should be traders. Um, I hear way too many people calling themselves crypto traders, and it usually either makes me giggle or kind of cry or both at the same time. Because most people will never be traders, because literally you have to change the way human nature works. You have to go against human nature to be a good trader, right? You have to have no emotion at all, and you need to really do things that go against your kind of common sense knowledge to really be able to be a good trader over time. So because most people aren't traders, but they want to get involved in crypto, having someone trade for them makes a lot of sense. So someone else trading for them, what that does is for us as a business means we onboard somebody who doesn't know how to trade. They link up to someone who does. We know exactly how much revenue we're going to get from that client. That client you hopefully makes money over time because they're linked up to someone who knows how to trade and it increases volume on our exchange. Ooh. So we can have one trader doing the volume of a thousand traders. Uh, because he's trading many, many other accounts at the same time. So it's that was the August pump that you were trading. I, I really love this shit coin. I can't let it go. Okay. Like the other day, like one of my shit coins, it like did a nice little pop, pop, pop. And I was like, yay, it's going to keep going up more. And now it went down. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was well, like, why did I sell it then? And then I yeah. kind of bought it back more. That, that like, being said, you probably did the right thing because at the end of the day, most people like, People think this HODL thing is crypto. It's not. I mean, HODL is equities. I mean, the only reason the equity market still exists is because people don't trade. If everybody, can you imagine if everybody that had money in the stock market was, was trading the stock market? The stock market would be at zero, man. Like the Dow would be at $14 right now. But the reason that it goes up 8 to 12% a year every year on average is because 
pension funds, endowments, your 401k, et cetera. People are passively investing and hodling in the stock market. And that's why the stock market quote unquote works. So if, if for most people in crypto, forget about trying to be a trader, forget about catching highs and lows and it's dollar cost averaging, it's holding and it's holding for long-term. Any Most people who try to trade get wrecked. I mean, the vast majority. So mm -hmm. actually what you did might've not made sense at the time, but in the long run, you may lose, but you have to look at it like a hedge fund. You take 30 shit coins, if two of them work out, you're good to go. You know what? Yeah. And one of them worked out really well this year. And so I am here in Puerto Rico. Yeah, there you go. See, you only need one. <laughs> well, trading is stressful. I mean, the yeah. people who do this all day and flipping and flopping to, you know, shave some profits. I'm like, I good for you. I hope you're making a lot of money. I don't want that kind of stress in my life because there is no foolproof system and anybody yeah. who tells you there is is trying to sell you their foolproof system if there was they wouldn't be telling you about it or selling it to you because mm -hmm. they wouldn't have to that's the so i mean i would have a man bun now too if it wasn't for trading that's why i look like this <laughs> you gotta get uh, a man donut get the little ball yeah. get one of those two i have like long gold long locks i mean i have like a fabio haircut going on right now well you could you know you could pull a biden he got uh plugs you know probably like yeah. 20 years ago or so yes yeah, yeah, and that's when they were like they were like like cheap doll plugs you know you look like you look like a cheap doll like you could just see the, the yeah. at least head. now they look somewhat I, realistic i don't know whatever elon musk got he got some good ass hair plugs man because yeah. I, I mean you see some pictures of him early days of paypal he's already balding and looking yeah. like the dorkiest dude ever and he got like a chin implant he's yeah. like he got he like he got he like got on some testosterone or something. I think that's where his hardware wallet, his Dogecoin hardware wallet's in the chin now. That's that's what that yeah, is. Early days, he looks funny. Like and now he's all like, oh, super handsome. But he totally got some hair thing. And it wonders. It's like, man, like how have they not solved balding yet? And then what scares me is like, well, look at Prince William. Like he's got more money than like anybody, and he's still balding. But then yeah. you got Elon Musk, who's got a lot of money. So I guess. It, Prince well, if you're the prince and you come back one, you know, one day you're straight bald, then they don't see you for six months. And then you got really nice hair. It's kind of too obvious. It's probably like, you know, it's not good for the image of the, you know, I don't know. But if you ever flown through Turkey, if you ever flown through Istanbul airport, you, you, you anytime you go there, there's always dudes with hats on. Then you go through the airport security and the guy's like, take the hat off, sir. And they're always like, oh, you know, oh, yeah, shake it a little bit. They take it off. And then it's just a massive, it looks like somebody took a hammer and beat them on the top of the skull for 15 minutes. Uh, you okay. know, bruised and bloody and everything. So I'm never doing that. I sat behind a guy who had just gotten a hair transplant <laughs> in Turkey, and I guess it's the best hair transplant place in the world. So yeah. eventually, I probably have to go to Turkey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm not not me, man. I, my my, I, I told my dad when I was young. My dad got like a hair piece when I was younger, and I told him I'm never doing this. I was yeah. probably like 12 years old. I said it's never gonna happen. I didn't think I was gonna go bald at the time. So oops. If you'll uh, just give not, me a sharpie, I can take care of that for you and just. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. better get a few sharpies joel because uh, like <laughs> so this this beard has a story behind it by the way i promised our community that until xcm hit one dollar at uh, one euro actually i wouldn't shave my beard so okay. that was when it was it was i did it originally for 20 cents because we were at two two three cents at the beginning of the year we hit 20 i shaved then someone said well now you can't shave till one i was like all right we hit 70 cents and then like everybody else, we fell back down. So now 
My wife hates me. I've been sleeping on the couch a little bit, but um, but I'm still keeping the beard and I'm, I'm trying. I think, I don't know where it's going to be. It might be like ZZ Topish by the time I'm able to shave it off. <laughs> well, you know, you're not even trimming it. You can't even trim it. It looks, it looks no. strong. Yeah, I now. trim. Well, I, I don't, I can't, I don't want, you know, the, the overhang. I mean, I, I can't, that, that I can't deal with. So I do trim it around here, but everything else is pretty much just natural. Right on. <laughs> you know what they say? Every girl crazy about a sharp dressed man. That's true. You know, as long as we're going down the rabbit hole of why haven't they solved this in 2021? Why the hell can I not get my colon checked without having a hose shoved up my ass? There you I, go. You know. <laughs> yeah. Like, can can there not be an x-ray? I mean, can we get a CAT scan type machine? Right. Just, or yeah. just, you know. I'll take like, the cancer risk without, right. you know, without the hose. No, without, you know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, I don't know, man. And 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 the whole lead up to the hose. You know, you're both are full of shit. I can tell you that already. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That verifiably for sure. Actually, no. Before you go in, you're actually have your. There's no shit. There's no shit. Because oh no, you're cleansed. They, they put your you on this. Coming, Trav. Your your day is coming soon. Yeah. You're gonna drink this jug of nastiness. That it looks like antifreeze. It's like an antifreeze jug. Yeah. You will. It'll be the cleanest day of your life. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So uh, anyway, uh, totally off the rails. I have not given the website yet. It's coinmetro.com. And uh, you guys can go check out the exchange. Kevin, you are a wealth of information. And in spite of your uh, prolific baldness, you're a funny guy. Yeah, well, yeah, well, there's more. The heat gets to escape better. So I, I'm a little wittier than I used to be because mm. of the, you know, so I don't overheat anymore. You're officially a friend of the show. We don't <laughs> tell that to everyone, but you're officially. All right, I'm going to go watch a bunch of your shows now. And if I hear that more than twice, I'm going to be upset, Travis. But I, I, I'll, I'll take it. I don't think I've ever said that. <laughs> so go keep right. looking. You have to watch a lot of episodes to see anybody who's ever said that. <laughs> well, on my next trip out to Puerto Rico, man, I'm going to I'm going to keep you on that word. So we're going to we're going to meet up. I want to tell you, as a graphic guy, I love the graphic on the coinmetro.com website. Like that should be an NFT. Yeah, yeah thank you. Well, actually, I have a I have a I have a domain for NFTs, nifty.art. Um, and, uh, I have my daughter right now. My daughter likes to draw. So we're going to come out. I'm going to try to get other CEOs of crypto exchanges to get their kids to draw pictures. And then I'm going to make NFTs out of them. So we'll see how that works. That's a whole nother project, but it's just something yeah. I've been working on. Crypto exchange CEOs, kids, art. <laughs> I mean, who wouldn't want, like, I don't think CZ has any kids. Um, maybe he's got 50 kids. I don't, I don't really know, but, uh, uh, he maybe he's got a hundred now. Exactly I don't know. Working on the code. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. How do you think they move so fast? You know, little <laughs> fingers. Yeah, well, we we joked with CZ. I'm like, dude, you you had a pretty good decision. You started an exchange in 2017, and we started a podcast. So you got financial. Good. You, <laughs> good. We started about the same month. They're they're about to have their four four year. Like we're literally like Binance and bad crypto started at the same time. We're bad, and they're Binance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, they're a little bad too. I mean, to be fair. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, 2017 was a good year, man. Lots of lots of stuff failed, but like you said, the guys who made it out, well, we're 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 awesome, obviously. I mean, how how couldn't we be awesome? So bad crypto's got to be just as awesome as Coin Metro because you know you guys are still around. We're and not. lots of people since speak a lot of nonsense in crypto. We all, I'm sure you guys know that. I know it. I know you guys have to know. You speak it. most of the nonsense. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but it's good, but it's it's fun to listen to nonsense, though. At least it's not That's just nonsense. Yeah, yeah, it's not just I. I'm the owner of Bitcoin nonsense. You know, like that type of nonsense. Nobody wants to hear that.
hope you guys enjoyed that interview with Kevin. Uh, we enjoyed speaking with him, and I'm sure some point in the future we'll have him back on the show because he's knowledgeable and he's got a good personality. Yeah, he was really, really funny guy. And so, I mean, now that you've heard it, you know that there's some some reasons why. I was like, dude, what? Like, how have you been around since 2017 and you have your crypto on no other exchanges except your own? Like, mm-hmm. you'd think, you know, maybe you'd want... You know, and he was like, well, we're just doing everything we can to remain safe under the current regulations of the SEC. So a couple pieces of, uh, of things to cover right here, Sir Lord Travis. First of all, we've been here in Puerto Rico now for a little bit of time, and both of us have been setting up our home offices and our studios. Mm-hmm. You and I both had the privilege of receiving a desk from Autonomous.ai. Now, I had one of these before in my uh, home office back in Denver, but you know, obviously I, I didn't bring furniture with me here and I really missed that desk and wanted to have another one. And, um, this is the first time crying about it. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to sit. I want to stand and I want a good desk. So, uh, this is your first experience with one here. And what do you think of it? Uh, I think I have lots to say and, uh, I made a video. You did make a video. Yeah. I think it's I think it's pretty good. I really wanted to get the um, the the full on wraparound desk, the L shaped desk, mm-hmm. but they don't ship those to Puerto Rico. So I got uh, the autonomous AI desk, which is I believe fifty three inches by twenty nine inches, which is a really good size. Uh, that's what she said. And then I have another one, which is a Fezabo desk that I got off of Amazon. That one is sixty three inches by twenty four inches. It's just not deep enough. That's right? what she what said. she also said. Yeah. It's like you need to get deeper. So 24 inches is better, is not as good as 29. And so I really have most of my stuff working on my autonomous desk. It's, mm-hmm. I just have more workspace. And then I needed to have that other side of my desk as well. So I basically have them both programmed and I can hit the buttons at the same time and they both raise up at the same time. So it's similar as having the full-on wraparound, but I would really have preferred to have the full wraparound because then I could put my computer and stuff right there in the middle. But I like the way that it's set up. It's really smooth. I use it every day. Um, as a big guy, uh, you know, it's like I need to stand more, so I'm standing more, which is good. And then I also got myself a uh, from Office Max here in Puerto Rico. I got myself a Shaquille O'Neal chair. I love the Shaquille O'Neal chair. I got to tell you, Joel, this chair very comfortable. Big men need a big chair. That's why you want to go to Office Max and get yourself a Shaquille O'Neal chair. And um, if you're really tall, you need to lift up. You got to have a lot of height. You need to you need to have a desk that can be tall enough for you. So that's what I got. I got a nice tall desk. Got a nice big chair. Got nice lights. Got nice computers. Got monitors. And they've got uh, so they have some other um, accessories like the standing the pad to stand on mm-hmm. that's a little elevated and slanted, so it helps with your posture. They've got these uh, cool little stools that they kind of weeble, like they wobble, but they don't fall down. Mm. And uh, Producer Aaron has one of those. Oh, I need one of those weeble wobble chairs. Yeah, you can I remember we, we first ran into these guys uh, at C, not CES, uh, South by Southwest in 2018, mm-hmm. 2019 maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I was like, dude, these desks are freaking awesome. So we've been talking to them for a long time. Yeah. And um, great people over there, great marketing team, great PR team, great product. So if you're looking for a desk and you need to stand up your ass more, get up. Yeah, Move in fact, around. We'll, uh, we'll embed the video on the website in the show notes. And I'll tell you what, as a bonus, we'll find the video that I shot a few years ago on my YouTube channel. Embed that too, so you can see both of us talking about putting together desks. So check them out at autonomous.ai and go desk yourself.
Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, they did give us the two desks, so they're not technically a sponsor, but said, you know, I had experienced theirs before, so I said, you know what, hook us up and hook my uh, my co-host up, and uh, and he'll shoot a video this time, and so that's what we did. There we go. Yeah. There it is. Content creation monsters. Mm. But really, for me, it was like I've moved into a new place, and I need to get the the ideal workspace for me and so this was an this was an opportunity because i had this i've had the same desk since i want to say 99 the same wraparound desk that i've had in kansas city wooden desk mm-hmm. had a hutch you know and shelves and it's like it, even it cd a, slots right did it have a starsky uh it did not it, it did not have a starsky but it did have a hutch which okay. was nice i think they're called hutches yeah am i right it's a hutch um now you may be questioning my things. But I have a hunch. It's a hutch. Yeah, a hutch. And very, you know, I've liked it. It's been nice. But uh, this gave me a chance to start from scratch. And so I said, all right, here's what I want. And then I've gone through and um, put my perfect desk together. And you can actually see my mm-hmm. office space. I got some mixed tiles up there, too. I actually recorded it by myself using a Pivo, which is a Pivo, little, which is which it would basically tracks your face. And then follows you around. It was kind of zooming in in and out, moving around. And I cut out some of the stuff. There was actually a really funny part that ended up cutting out because, like, I reached over to grab something and the thing went over. I'm like, over here. And it's like, (coughs) over here. (laughs) And then it came over. But I cut that out because it was not necessary for the video. Bad bad camera. I'm over here. Yeah. Um, Cool. So you guys go check that out. I never sit. I don't even have a chair for You are lying. You're sitting right now. That's true. I'm at my desk. <laughs> He's right about that. I am sitting right now. Like, how can you say, I never sit? Here's the other piece of news, and this it's unfortunate. We had a special episode up last week of an interview that we did with Zach Burks from Mintable.app, along with artists Rob Pryor and Jonathan Bowlerjack that were scheduled to do the Stan Lee Legacy drop on Mintable. And that drop has been pulled. And it's not going to happen. Uh, so we have pulled the episode along with it. And sorry for all the much to do. Um, I don't know what's going to happen with those pieces, but I guess the parties agreed that this is what was going to happen. Mm. So there you go. There you go. And there you go. Hopefully not too painful an episode. Maybe you learned a couple things. Probably not from us. I do want to give a big shout out to our producer, Aaron. Um, she basically, I, so she convinced me to get one of those, um, instant pot air fryer things mm-hmm. because she'd been cooking all these amazing meals. Yes, uh, she has. My, my kids and I went down there to Joel and Aaron's not long ago and she made this amazing meal and I was like, oh my God, that's amazing. So she had taught me tonight how to make the most unbelievable like ramen noodle chicken with lots of bok choy. It was delicious. It was, it was bok choy rific. <laughs> She's gonna open up the bok choy palace. <laughs> you can go in, and drive through, and get a bucket of bok choy. That was choy. so good, like with with, 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 with like you know hard boiled egg, mm. and then some jalapenos mm. and some sriracha, mm. and too much bok choy. It was so good. It was. We take out some of the bok choy, add more jalapenos. Oh, add, we added mushrooms to it as well. Uh-huh. Oh my god, I'm excited because now I'm gonna make that meal once a week. Like it's so good. Like what the funniest part about it is that we you use the ramen noodles that come in the bag that you know college students live on, right? right. For fifty cents or whatever, and you just don't use the seasoning mm-hmm. that comes with it. So you were like, okay, I can get uh, three chicken for fi- for a buck, or I can get five beef 
for a buck. Mm-hmm. And like, well, there's no difference. The noodles are the same. If you're not using the flavor packet, I right. say that in air quotes, the flavor packet, <laughs> then the noodles are the same thing. Right. Yeah, it was It was really, I mean, I was blown away by how delicious it is. So shout out to Aaron, the, uh, I guess, the new, the new chef, Puerto Rican chef. I'll tell you what, having this um, instant pot, the, it, it's, uh, it, it's an air fryer. And it's a, you know, it's an instant pot that does all the things. Mm-hmm. And everybody who listens to Bad Crypto knows how much I love pot. Instant pot is even better. <laughs> it's like right now. You're just summoning it. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, they did not send us an instant pot for free, though. So this is. I'll pay for that myself. It was like I, I got the $200 one there on Amazon. It was so good. The, fa- the fact is, like, I've used the air fryer more than I've used the instant pot. And I have made some of the best chicken breasts. Mm-hmm. And then I even got some like um, uh, really good, supposedly healthy chicken tendies. And I cooked those in there. Oh, my God. So Are you losing your tendies oh about it? Oh, my God. I was like, I needed to make some <laughs> tendies so I could drop them because I was so triggered. <laughs> and my mom came in the room and I was like, no, mom, I'm throwing these tendies. <laughs> Stay back. The Bad Crypto Podcast is a production of Bad Crypto LLC. The content of the show, the videos, and the website is provided for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It's not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice of any kind. You shouldn't make any decisions as to finances, investing, trading, or anything else based on this information without undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional financial advisor. Please understand that the trading of Bitcoin's and alternative cryptocurrencies have potential risks involved. Anyone wishing to invest in any of the currencies or tokens mentioned on this podcast should first seek their own independent professional financial advisor. Cookie, cookie. Sounds like you're saying cookie. That's what I am saying. <laughs> cookie. Oh, cookie, cookie, monster. Chocolate chip. Cookie, cookie. Cookie, cookie. So that's what it is. I keep saying cookie, cookie. And I'm like, I bring them cookies, but they don't eat them.